The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning. It's, it's good to see you here. Again, my name is Caleb. We're so grateful you're here. We know there are a lot of places you can go, so thank you for coming out. Um, can we give a hand to the band again? They always bring such great worship. <laughs> So obviously the video is making um, fun of some styles that have come and perhaps gone. Uh, but what caught my attention was the last line. Did you, did you catch the last line? It said, it's all about feeling good. It's all about feeling good. And, and I think that statement actually sums up our culture, our economy, our society today. You know, from the kinds of cars we drive, right, to the, the clothes we wear, to the coffee that we drink, um, we have, our economy, our culture has moved to a place where we, we sell experiences now. You know what I'm talking about? Coffee. I love a good cup of coffee, but Starbucks is not just about a good cup of coffee. It's, it's, it's a coffee-drinking experience, right? Uh, and I love a great experience. They, Starbucks prides itself on service. I mean, they always ask me how I'm doing. It's super thoughtful. And they're always smiling at me. They must like me. Uh, It makes the $5 cup of coffee almost worth it, right? (laughs) And uh, did you know that they're actually trained to read your your body language? So if you're you're waiting in line and you're kind of just, you know, looking around and stuff, when you get to the counter, they'll engage with you and and have a good conversation. But if you look like you're looking at your watch, you're in a hurry, they'll just kind of keep moving you along. Um, I love Starbucks, so don't get me wrong. I love a good experience. It's it's quality stuff, right? It's like listening to... um, like a Panasonic speaker, and then you listen to like a Bose or a Bauer Wilkins. It's like so much better. Or you're seeing a movie in 2D and then in 3D. You only saw it in 2D. You got to see it in 3D. It's way better. It's like you're in the movie, bro, right? <laughs> or going out to eat. It's, this is an experience, you know? It's not just about getting good food anymore. Sure, that's part of it, but the, the environment, it's, it's beautiful. It's hopefully relaxing for you, and, and hopefully you create a beautiful memory around that. Automakers seem to highlight this, this value a lot. It's not just about getting from A to B anymore. BMW's slogan is actually the ultimate driving experience. Sign me up. You had me at hello. I, I, I love a great experience. Um, and, and the reality is experiences can, can be extremely powerful, can't they? And I think that's why we're so drawn to them. We're so moved by them. They, they have a direct impact on our emotions, which affects our decisions, which affects our lives. But, but here's the thing about external experiences. They're, they're temporary, right? Because eating at a great restaurant once is not enough. Eating, driving at a BMW once is not enough. You want to do it again and again. So it's not a change internally. It's a change on the outside. And it's not a permanent deal, is it? Airlines, you want to talk about getting a good experience. How come first-class people can just sort of board whenever they want? First-class people Board at your leisure. Board at your leisure. Take your time. We love you. <laughs> Coach people, wait. Sit. Stay, little piggies. And we're just kind of waiting there. And, stuff. and then you get on the plane, and, and the first class people are sprawled out on their, you know, big thrones. It's like, bring me the head of a pig. And a goblet of something cool and refreshing. Even the bathrooms, right? Uh, the bathrooms up front are for first class people only. The coach bathrooms are, however, located at LAX Airport. The experience, right? We love a good experience. And the fact is, it, uh, it really does enhance life a little bit, doesn't it? We value them. Um, but here's the, here's the danger, is when we start to let our experience 
determine our attitudes and our values in life. And, and, you know, we actually haven't always been like this. We've slowly moved to this kind of culture, to this kind of economy. Um, and if you're a nerd like me, you like to understand why things are, how things came to be uh, the way they are. So I want to give you a quick history lesson of our economy, Econ 101. Um, so commerce has moved, moved through about three economic phases, and we're entering what they call the fourth the first one was the agrarian economy, right? So this is like pre-1776, colonial America, uh, agricultural economy, right? And uh, economic value in the agrarian economy was based on the ability to extract commodities, like grains and minerals, from the earth. And after that came the industrial economy, and this was, was really built on the ability to make goods from those commodities, right? And so the steam engine brought this about quite quickly. All of a sudden, farmers were farming land more efficiently, uh, and, and here we saw mass production of goods in, in the factories. And then after uh, industrial economy came the service economy. If you look at the current list of the Fortune 500 companies, uh, there are more service companies, more service providers than there are manufacturers on this list than compared to, say, previous decades. And, and these services are, are mostly concentrated in financial services, you know, hospitality, retail, uh, health, human services, information technology, education. And so virtually every product we have today has a service component to it. And now what we've done is we've entered this fourth era, and they call it the experience economy, where businesses, basically, they orchestrate memorable moments uh, for, for events, for customers, and for clients. And so what happens is the memory itself of an experience becomes the product experience. Think about uh, a birthday cake. 50 years ago, um, most moms would make the birthday cake from scratch, maybe a few commodities like butter, eggs, flour, uh, sugar, and, and cost a couple dollars. And next, as the industrial economy advanced, moms started to use uh, packaged goods, right? Pay a couple more bucks to Betty Crocker, basically cake mix. That's what we're talking about. And, and then after that came the bakery-made cake, Right? A service most people thought well worth the $20, $30, because generally our time is worth more than our money. But now the homemade birthday cake has been replaced by a birthday experience. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese, or, or even better, you, know, you hire a personal chef and a magician or a clown to come to your house and entertain everyone. That's the experience economy at work. And uh, I love, I love a, a good experience. Um, we, I think we've always had experiences, but... You know what's changed is that we didn't pay someone else uh, to provide them. And now we're willing to, to pay to experience things that people actually once did for themselves. And at the same time, our expectations about uh, what we get for our money has risen. And, and with them, the lengths to which these experienced providers have to go to satisfy the customers, you and I. In 1971, this guy named Alvin Toffler he wrote a book called Future Shock. This is 1971, so a little bit, a little bit ago. And, and he was predicting this experiential industry that we're currently in. And, and he said uh, it would be a, uh, in the future where people would be willing to allocate a higher percent, percentage of their salaries to live amazing experiences. So where am I going with all of this? I think experiences are great. And in fact, um, I think many would argue that uh, even my job is to create dynamic experiences in a church setting so you, that you can connect with God. Uh, so I'm all for them. 
But here's what I know is, is happening when it comes to our engagement uh, with God, our reasons for doing church and our reasons for coming to church. You know, church is not supposed to be a, a place where you just get a great experience on Sunday and then you just kind of head back out into your daily life until, until you come back next Sunday. Um, it's actually supposed to be a reflection, an expression of what's already happening in our lives during the week. And so, yeah, we come together, but we come together to celebrate and to, to reflect and even to repent together. You see, I think our culture has, has influenced and shaped our thinking uh, so much, our expectations so much, that I believe it's bleeding into our understanding of who God is and how God works in our lives. And so we're in this Transform series, so I want to go back to this key scripture. It's in Romans 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. And it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It didn't say be transformed by an amazing experience. But I've seen in my own life how, how this experience-driven society can affect my view of God and how I can actually begin to worship the experience, the created and not the creator. So the challenge is for me, yes, to absolutely enjoy a good experience at church, but realize that it's not the experience that's transforming me. It's God and God alone. And, and so what we do need are authentic experiences with God, uh, not, not these super polished ones that I think life offers us on every other level. So real transformation happens on the insight. And, and the moment you and I start to believe that Transformation starts to happen through external experiences is the moment that we've actually lost sight of how God actually works. And the the true power of Christ, the scriptures talk about this, the true power of Christ resides within you. The story of Moses and the Ten Commandments, you guys remember this a little bit? It's, um, so he goes up to the mountain to meet with God, it's in Exodus 34. And when he's coming back down with the Ten Commandments, and, and it says, when Moses came back down from the mountain and the people saw him, they were afraid because the skin of his face shone. So literally standing in God's glory somehow had, had transfigured his face, uh, his, his appearance. And his face was literally radiant. And the Hebrew word used there refers to uh, um, like a ray or a beam of light. And so the scripture goes on to say Moses covered his face with a veil so that the people would not be frightened by his appearance. But according to Paul in the New Testament... The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, he talks about this. And he says, Moses covered himself with a veil so that the people couldn't see that the glory was fading away. Can you catch that? So he covered, Moses covered his face with a veil so that the people would, would not be able to see that the glory from his face, the glory of God, was fading away from him. So whatever transformation uh, Moses experienced in God's presence on the mountain was, was temporary, and the veil hid the, um, the transient nature uh, of the glory from the people. So yes, his mountaintop experience was, was real, it was authentic, it was full of uh, uh, glory uh, and God's presence, but, but here's the thing, it didn't bring lasting transformation. And this is the critical part of the story I think most of us have forgotten. Um, Moses' experience, I believe, is one that's actually extremely common among Christians today. And through the influence of our consumer culture, our experiential culture, we've come to believe, perhaps without even realizing so, that transformation is attained through external experiences. And so maybe we come to church uh, believing that God will meet us here through an experience. And again, hear me out. The experience itself is not 
bad. I, I, it's awesome. But here's what I believe. It puts you in a place uh, where you can perhaps hear God's voice more clearly. It, it puts you in a place where perhaps you can sense God's prompting. But, but a, great, a great experience could even put you on the road to transformation. But you still have to walk down the road of transformation if you want lasting transformation. So if we just enjoy the experience and then walk away, we'll discover like Moses did, uh, it was only an external experience. And, and nothing actually changed on the inside. So a few days from now, or maybe as early as our Sunday lunch, the glory fades away. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus and his apostles, they don't, they don't emphasize the external experience as a means of encountering God. Uh, they actually focus on, on this, um, this mysterious communion with God made possible through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the same Holy Spirit that, you know, each of us have, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you say, yes, Christ, you're my, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And, and the Apostle Paul says, you know, this is in contrast to the fading uh, glory of, of Moses that he experienced on Mount Sinai. Paul says, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, and that this comes from the Spirit. So the transformation is not from the outside working in, but it's from the inside working out. So when, when, in, in John 4, Jesus, what Jesus talked about in John 4 is coming to pass. He says that we no longer worship the Father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, uh, but rather we worship him in spirit and in truth. So to encounter the glory of God uh, you know, no longer requires you to ascend a mountain uh, like Moses did, but you basically we have to learn how to embrace this divine mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So these services that we have, it's, it, it, the worship gatherings are not the problem. In fact, we're actually commanded to come together. The problem could perhaps be what we come expecting from it. If our worship is an external display of an internal reality, the, the glory of Christ, right, that lives within us, then, then we would be a people, like I said, that, that, that celebrate together, that reflect together, that even repent together. There was a study done uh, by Willow Creek Church. It's a church in South Barrington, Illinois. And they were, a study was done in 2004, and they were considered the, the flagship of American megachurches at the time. And they were averaging about 20,000 in attendance on a weekend. So quantitatively, I guess, like, you know, it's pretty good. Um, but they wanted, to, they wanted to know if their services, if their weekend experiences were really helping people grow spiritually. And, and you know what they found? Uh, increased attendance and even participation in different groups did not play a role in their love for God or love for people. Do you know what impacts a personal, person's spiritual growth the most for, for lasting change? It's not the cool lights. It's not, you know, the great music or, or a dynamic message. Um, the research found what impacted a person's spiritual growth the most were personal Bible reading, prayer and meditation, a meaningful relationship with a mentor, and serving others. That's it. So, so we don't need to wait for some powerful experience in a church uh, or at a conference or anywhere else, for that matter, to connect with God. He's with us at all times. It can happen anywhere at any time. It's actually up to us. And you and I both know that um, 
transformation doesn't happen overnight. I sure wish sometimes it did, like hurry it up already. But for me, what helps me is if I can just be 1% better every day, I feel like I'd be moving in the right direction. You know, and, and I, I believe this is actually how we become transfigured on the inside. You know, you don't just wake up one day and decide to run 26 miles. You train for that marathon, right? And maybe you add a mile each day. The Greek word for transformed in the scripture that we're looking at, Romans 12, it's actually related to the English word metamorphosis. And Sean talked a little bit about this in, in part one of the series. And you, so you remember seventh grade science class, right? So that's how the caterpillar becomes butterfly, tadpole becomes a frog. So it's a gradual change on the inside that produces a total transformation on the outside. And I use the word transfigure because it's the same Greek word that's used for the transfiguration of Christ when the, when the true glory of Christ is, uh, starts to shine through his humanity. So stick with me here. Mark 9, it says this. Um, this is when Jesus was ascending back to heaven after uh, the crucifixion and he rose again. And he says, then he was, uh, There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So the word, the word means to be changed or transformed um, from one thing to another. So think of it this way. When Jesus was transfigured, he didn't cease to be Jesus. He was still who he was moments ago. Uh, but for a brief time, the, uh, the, the curtain was pulled back, so to speak. And, and James and Peter and John, the guys there, the disciples, saw as much of the true divinity of Christ as they could and still live. <laughs> Uh, so in that moment, they saw the, the real Jesus, the true Son of God from, from heaven. He didn't cease to be man, but his true identity was revealed. True God of true God. So hang on to that thought, and, and let's go back to the caterpillar deal. Uh, enters the cocoon only later to emerge as a butterfly. So it's not that the caterpillar changes its basic nature. Metamorphosis reveals what was always there in the genes of the caterpillar. Caterpillars can't fly, but they were born to fly. Uh, so when a caterpillar has been changed into a butterfly, it becomes what God always actually intended it to be. So metamorphosis then reveals the essence of a thing. It doesn't change the essential essence. So the stuff was already inside. So we don't need the external circumstances to give us anything. Metamorphosis reveals the essential character of whatever was put there by the creator in the beginning. I'll say it again. Metamorphosis reveals the essential character of whatever was put there by the creator in the beginning. So when we come to Christ, the scriptures in 1 Corinthians um, 2 verse 16, it says we have the mind of Christ. What does that even mean? It's, a, it's an awesome thought. But those who know Jesus, so you call him Lord and Savior, it says that you gain the mind of Christ. And what does it mean? In this context, it's talking about um, the, the ability to estimate the true value of everything. So we have this ability from God to estimate the true value of things. But it's something that we, we have to develop over the years. And this is what the second part of the scripture is, the renewing of the mind. Let's go back to that. Um, Romans 12, 2 and 3. So it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then the second half, And then you will be able to test and approve God's will. His good pleasing, and perfect will. So by developing the mind of Christ, we develop the ability to estimate the true value of things, of life, the things that come our way. Um, how does this happen? 
It's simple. It's just a purposeful decision that we make to be closer to God uh, in, in the prayer, in scriptures, in relationships with each other, in relationship with God. And we all know it doesn't happen overnight. It, it can't happen without the Holy Spirit, uh, which each of us have. It can't happen. It only happens when we make a personal commitment. With uh, It happens when we have the encouragement of other people. It happens as we become what God made us to be. John Piper, uh, a great, uh, if you want, want to go deeper in, in the faith um, and just really kind of grapple with some of these things, I would recommend John Piper. He says, this is how we, uh, we know that the mind is renewed, by steadfastly gazing at the glories of Christ for what they really are. So by, by, uh, through pursuing God, we become more transformed by the renewing of our mind. So perhaps our prayers um, should be more like, God, open my heart, uh, uh, renew my mind, so that I, I can estimate the true value of everything, everything in, in your light. And, and so we need to remember and really internalize that God is with us. He's never left our side. So we don't need to wait for an external experience. Uh, uh, we don't need to wait for a Sunday moment. We don't need to wait for uh, a feeling. We can engage and connect with God at any point in time and gain renewal. God's with us here now, yes, but he'll be with you tonight. He'll be with you next week and next year. And, and you know, it's a hard thing to really internalize and, and, and believe that. Sure, he's everywhere, but to believe that he is over, he knows all the intricacies of your life. And may, maybe you're thinking there's nothing of note in your life, especially for God uh, to pay attention to. You know, the paparazzi aren't exactly waiting in the bushes to see you come out in your workout clothes and take pictures and sell it to TMZ. Or maybe, maybe they are. Um, <laughs> but so why should we have the undivided attention of the creator who created uh, the galaxies? And, and honestly, if this describes how you feel, because I know I felt like this every now and then, I want to share with you a couple just a few scriptures as I close from one of my favorite psalms. And David wrote these words of assurance when he was looking for some assurance. He was looking for a way to connect with God. I mean, if you know David's life, he, had, he tried all kinds of experiences, something to bring meaning. And so he realizes this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's Psalm 139. Uh, I mean, isn't that awesome? It's true. It, it's true. And so no matter how isolated you may feel out in the field, uh, God is there. He's been with you and I all along. He sees you punch the clock and stir the coffee and return the phone calls and surf the web. Um, and, and, you know, it shouldn't freak us out to realize that God's eyes are, are, are on us. Because he doesn't see you and I through, through the eyes of disapproval or through the eyes of disappointment. His presence is not a sign of condemnation. It's actually an invitation, an invitation for us to be renewed, to be transformed from the inside out, and, and to be able to live our lives to the fullest potential. Let's pray together. God, I pray that, um, that you'd shine your light on us, that, that we would lift our gaze to you. Sometimes it's so easy for us to forget. It's the simplest of things that connect us to you. So I pray for everyone in this room and uh, to encounter you in our hearts and our minds. I pray for everyone 
uh, in this room who, who's connected to all kinds of relationships, all kinds of people, Lord. May we encounter you in our hearts, in our minds. May we uh, internalize your truths. And really accept the hope, accept the peace that you've invited us to take. And so in turn, produce a total um, transformation of who we are from the inside to the out. God, we love you. We want to be children of the light. So we thank you for calling us, for being daughters and sons. Sons of a King, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.